0: Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we are the worst girl gang ever. Are you feeling isolated, lost, empty, or struggling with your grief following the loss of your baby? We have designed and written a course to help you navigate these challenging times following loss. We have expert advice and guidance in the following areas. Gratitude. Female reproductive health. Relationship guidance. Fertility nutrition. Exercise and mindfulness and meditation. The course has been designed to support, empower, and nurture you following your devastating loss. To find out more, click the link in the show notes. On with today's episode. Hello, lovely people, it's Laura here. A couple of things I wanted to say. Firstly, you know that ad that you've just listened to? Can you believe that we didn't mention the bloody name of the course? Can you believe it? I mean I can. What a pair of numpties. But just so you know, it's called The Pathway to Recovery. Never mind. The other thing is, today, this episode that you're listening to is with Jess. And I just wanted to let you know that we've split her interview into two episodes because sadly for her, she's been through an awful lot of loss and it was too much for one episode. So here is part one, and part two will be coming next week. Welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever, and we are super lucky to be joined here by Jess Watson. Hi, Jess. Hello.
1: Hello. How are you?
0: Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's quite exciting. I'm, really I'm, I'm excited. sure talk yeah. us through what what you know. What brought you here? Your own personal experiences.
1: Yeah. So, we are very lucky to have. Um, uh, an older daughter who is four and um, she was unicorn, absolute unicorn pregnancy and everything. That was what we thought was normal. Um, unicorn? What's a unicorn, unicorn pregnancy? Like, like no issues whatsoever, like smooth is that, sailing. Is that just you? Have you just made that up? No, that's a thing, I think. Well, I unicorn, somebody else <laughs> unicorn. It. like the, the mythical unicorn magical pregnancy. pregnancy. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Oh my so gosh, I had, I, had no idea, I had no idea of that. No issues with her. It was all textbook and, you know, great. And then that was my expectation, you know going forward we've always wanted mm. um children my, my husband and I and then we got to the time where we thought you know try for another baby and we um got pregnant and found out we were having a boy absolutely over the moon um and we went to our 20-week scan as you do um expecting to, when you're when you're sort of naively oblivious to yeah. to this side of the world um that we would find out what sex our baby was, and you know that's what we were excited about.
0: Um, but that's what people that, think of it as, don't they? That twenty, yeah, yeah, scan. just yeah. See gender it. scan.
1: Yeah, that's what you think even you're going to find out. But
0: even the twelve-week scan is like, is a what is it called? Viability um, dating scan. scan. Dating scan. Yeah. Well, no, what the twelve-week? Isn't it viability? Oh, is it? Oh, is that a first one? I don't know oh, I, I don't know but what <laughs> but what I mean is that we think I think when you're naively pregnant you think of it as like an opportunity to see your baby but in mm-hmm. the medical world it's not that's not what they're for um no. but you know it's just another one of the things that are worded differently absolutely and, yeah. and we we didn't know anybody we we didn't really
1: know anybody that had experienced like any like miscarriages or any kind of pregnancy loss or um anything like that so Um, yeah, so we went along to our 20 week scan, our anomaly scan, um, expecting to find out the gender, which we did. Um, and towards the end, she said, you're going to have to come back. It's nothing to worry about, but I can't quite get an accurate picture of baby's heart and baby's stomach. So we were like, oh, okay. That's, you know, that's, that's sounds normal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this was just before Christmas. It was literally the 23rd of December before Christmas Eve. So we spent the whole of Christmas really excited, telling all our family and friends, you know, we're having a boy. It's great. And then we went back two weeks after the new year for our repeat scan and very quickly it was, she went very quiet and um, my husband said he remembers her like just, you, just concentrating so like intently at the screen, she wasn't really talking to us. And she sort of said, I, I'm really sorry, um, there's, there's, there's something wrong. Um, I think it's uh, something called a, a, a diaphragmatic hernia, a hole in the diaphragm. Um, But I'm not I'm not really sure. I haven't really seen many of them. I can't really tell you anything else. So I'm just going to have to refer it to the fetal medicine team and somebody will call you in a couple of days. And at this point, I was like, I can't like I can't wait a couple of days You're telling me something is is wrong with my baby. Um, I can't wait a couple of days. I'm quite an anxious person anyway. I was like to go home and sit in my house for two days waiting for the phone to ring. It's just, uh, you know sounds terrible so I said is there any chance we can speak to somebody like now can somebody give us some more information so she went away she came back and um uh with a, a one of the screening midwives who's was very very experienced and she's a lovely lovely lady and she basically explained it to us and um what they thought it was was exactly what the sonographer had said a, a hole in the diaphragm. Um, which meant basically the stomach and the heart weren't in the right place, which is why the first stenographer couldn't get an accurate picture of the stomach and the heart. Mm. Um, So it's something called a congenital diaphragmatic hernia CDH, which basically is a a hole in the diaphragm, which causes the organs in the abdomen to push up into the chest space. um, And it limits the the space for the lungs to grow. Sometimes it can cause heart defects because the heart's pushed up to one side um, and so this is what what they saw. So the stomach was in the chest and the heart was over to the wrong side, which is why they couldn't quite find what they were looking at. Um, so she booked us in for an appointment with a consultant there and then. And so she booked us in with the consultant and the foetal medicine consultant. And she said, um, you know, don't go away and Google any of it. She gave us some really kind of good um, sources to go to if you want to do some some reading ourselves. Yes, did you Point- Google? No, I didn't. I didn't. Very good. Because I know what I'm like and you know what Google's like. It's terrible, yeah. isn't it? And you get on, on, from one thing onto another thing onto another thing. And yeah. um, and I just thought – but I did go to the the website that she pointed us in the direction of which – well, there was two, ARC um, mm-hmm. and um, CDH UK, which is um, the charity – the only UK charity that basically supports um, families going through – um, you know either what we were diagnosis or um you know families with children with cdh as they get old basically supports that whole
0: um the whole kind of um a disease if you like um mm. so i sorry to interrupt at mm-hmm. this point what was the prognosis what did you we didn't did know you? she she said she gave us the leaflets and it, it I mean, it's pretty
1: dire to be honest it's um they say it's it's basically 50 percent so we went back and forth for the rest of um the pregnancy back to bristol back to our local hospital and um found a lot of comfort in um the the charity cdh uk they had a really good um like online facebook support group um which was great i mean you know as with anything to do with with you know Baby loss or child loss. Speaking to people who get it is—it's just there's no comparison. Yeah, um, invaluable.
0: So, yeah, so to be able. Why to talk is to it whether, so? Can we just like talk about that? Sorry, why no, is it no. so comforting to talk to people that know what they're what you've been through? I think they just get it, don't they?
1: They just—they understand. They know what not to, explain to say. Yourself. Exactly. You don't have to make excuses for how you're feeling, or um, I, it's just. It, it just makes sense doesn't it when you're speaking to somebody else who and there's also this I know you guys have talked about this before as well there's this like instant connection isn't there there's Mm -hmm. this instant almost bond really that you have with other you know families with other women who are going through something similar who have gone through something similar um and I felt I found huge comfort in reading other other people's stories as well in general but at this point in our sort of um Kind of uh, journey, um, particularly, I tried to stay away from the, you know, the inevitable, m- more kind of sadder <laughs> stories.
0: Yeah.
1: It's yeah. hard, isn't it? Because even though, you know, even though I knew it was a possibility, I still didn't really want to go there. I wanted to try and focus on, I- I'm like the most glass half full person, the most optimistic person. Like for me, there's always going to be a silver lining. Um, And I, and I found that really, really difficult at various points because, you know, when you go through something like that, how, how do you begin to start finding positives and things again? Um, so I tried to stay very, um, positive and, you know, we tried to kind of, um, talk about it as if he would be here and everything would be okay. Um, and yeah we made some connections with a couple of families which was really really nice um who were being treated by the same hospital as us so that was quite that was quite good and and um one lady in particular whose little boy uh, was born just before or the month before um leo was um and so that was really nice because actually she was going through everything that I would be going through, um, mm. which was really good. She sent me, because obviously we were in the middle of the of lockdown at this point. By the time I was coming close to giving birth, it was May. Um, so we were slap bang in the middle of everything, um, which meant the normal things that we would have been able to do to potentially prepare ourselves for for what was to come such as you know touring the neonatal unit speaking to um you know some of the consultants and the nurses in depth who might be looking after him we weren't really able to sort of do because they were obviously limiting who was going in and out of hospitals so Mm -hmm. um my friend sarah was going through pretty much what we would be going through but a month before and um she would send me pictures of her son and and things and send me pictures of like the incubators and things like that. So that was really good. I think for us to sort of see that and kind of prepare ourselves in that sense as well, because a lot of people, um, said to us that we knew when he was born that he would be really poorly from the off, whether he made it or not in the long run, we knew from the off he would be very poorly and he would be going straight into the neonatal unit. Um, and a lot of people said to us, um, you know, that that's a scary place f- for, for any parent to experience. Yeah, exactly. um, but if you know it's coming, you can sort of do things to, again, kind of prepare yourself. So, you know, looking at pictures of the incubators and that kind of thing just helped to um, sort of familiarise ourselves with what yeah. it might kind of be like. Mm. Um, so we got to the point in sort of April, May time where we were talking about delivery and he had to be um delivered in Bristol in the specialist unit because that's where obviously all the um, neonatologists and the um and things were um so I went in for a planned induction um at the beginning of May um which turned into a c-section because he was breech um so which I didn't mind I was in for a couple of days before we got to this point and at that point I was just desperate to sort of you know you gear yourself up for it when you know it's coming don't you You gear yourself up for it and I was just desperate to have him here and for us to just know what was going on because we'd spent so many months in limbo um Mm. so we were told we were sort of prepared for we had I did have a really really good chat with one of the um, neonatal consultants before he was born and he said you know it's we're not sure obviously whether he will come out crying or breathing. We try and limit that with CDH babies. So what they do is as soon as the baby's born, they inject like a paralytic to stop them taking that first breath. Because if you think about it, obviously when you take a big breath, it further um, sort of reduces the amount of space in the lungs. So they they stop them doing that and they intubate them straight away to give their lungs the best possible chance mm-hmm. um, to sort of start kind of recovering, start working. Um, so we knew that we probably wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't get that, that skin to skin straight away. We wouldn't really get to hold him or pro- probably see him straight away. Um, and that it would be, you know, we'd get to see him before he got taken up to the neonatal unit and he was really honest with us. And I really appreciated that actually. I think, um, for both of our consultants, the the consultant we saw locally and, um, the ones that we saw, um, in Bristol, they, were really honest and matter of fact with us about it. And I, I just really liked that because it at least gave us some certainty in, you know, all of the chaos. Um, And they said, you know, the first 28, 48 hours are critical. Um, We usually know within that time, whether or not they're going to make it. Um, And, we so you know we knew that it would happen reasonably quickly and that we would you know know quite quickly what sort of state his kind of lungs and things were in so we were all kind of you know prepared and things and um I've had a natural um uh, vaginal delivery with my daughter and so this was kind of alien to me at this point I was just thinking I don't care just we'll do whatever we got to do to get him yeah. here safely and almost in a way as quickly as possible because then that takes away a lot of the um you know that that uncertainty too so he um, how many weeks were you when you had so him? i was 30 almost 39 so okay. they want they want you to go to a term as much as possible without obviously running the risk of going into spontaneous labor which is a yeah. lot more common with cdh babies um because i i developed um excess fluid as well towards the end which is again really common because the babies aren't swallowing as much yeah. because obviously there's not enough space and things so the fluid builds up um which obviously makes you bigger puts you at more risk of going into preterm labor so they want you to go for as long as possible obviously to give babies much time to cook as possible but at the mm-hmm. same time mitigate the risk of going into early labor and being miles away from yeah, the course. hospital and we're about an hour away from from you know the specialist hospital so um, you know, he said, the last thing we want is you giving birth in an ambulance, really, or at a unit yeah. that can't 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 deal with it. Definitely. So he arrived um, by um, caesarean on the eighth of May, um, and the a big baby, eight pounds nine. Um, my daughter had been really little; she'd been six pound fourteen, so we weren't expecting quite mm. such a big baby, um, and. They obviously injected him with the, the paralytic and um, he wasn't having any of that, screamed his head off. Did he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah which was really nice because we never thought we'd get, we, we didn't, we, yeah. we didn't think we'd get to hear him. We didn't get to think, we didn't think we'd hear his voice. So that was really nice. Um, but everything went smoothly in that initial bit. They intubated him really, really quickly um, and stabilised him and he went off to the NICU and then I was, you know, stitched up and off to recovery and, it was um, a few hours before we could go up and see him. I was still in hospital bed, so it it would have been, yeah, several hours. Um, but he already wasn't doing well. Um, and they were kind of discussing with other hospitals um, about various different treatments that they could potentially try, various different um, medications and drugs and things. Um, and... They just, you know, did obviously everything that, that they could at that point. But um, he he never really stabilised. He never really got to the point where we had hope that he would be okay. And it's exactly the timeline that the doctor that the doctor talked to us about. You know, um, within sort of twenty four hours, we were having a really difficult conversation with the consultant about them having, you know, maybe literally one drug, one more drug to try. Um, he wasn't a candidate for um, ECMO, which is a kind of a heart-lung bypass type thing, which it has risks of its own, um, but does sometimes work for CDH babies. But because Leo's condition was was so poor from the off, he just wasn't a candidate for it. Um, and yeah, so we were having this really difficult conversation with the consultant. And he basically said, if this last drug doesn't work, Um, then in a few hours time, we're going to have to have another conversation and you're going to have to prepare yourselves for, um, you know, what comes next basically. And, you know, you get to that point and obviously we always knew it was a possibility. I have said from the beginning, they they weren't shy about that from the beginning, but you just never think it's going to happen to you, do you? You just... You just don't, you know, and like I said, I'm such a positive person. In my head, it was like, no, he's going to be fine. Uh, you know, it might be hard work and it might be a bit of a slog, but he's going to be fine. Um, and, you know, we got we got to the end of the road and, you know, they said <clears throat> there isn't anything else that we can try. There isn't anything else that we can do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, now it's just about taking the time that we've got left while he's in a reasonably good position You know, they gave us the option. They said, you know, we can try um, and go hard with more of the same of what we're doing, but it's very, very unlikely that that is going to work. If it hasn't shown any signs of working by this point, it's very, very unlikely. Or we can strip all of that back, strip all the medication back, and you guys can have, you know, some some time together and you can make memories together that you might not necessarily get if he declines really rapidly. Mm. So that's the way that we decided to to go, you know, to have as much time as we could with him, to um you know, make make memories and read stories and um you know, take footprints and handprints and um, tell him about his sister and about his family and um you know, do do all of those things that we might not have gotten a chance to do if we could pushed harder um and they they were amazing the doctors and nurses were absolutely incredible um, i don't I genuinely don't know how they do it the, the the teams that work in the neonatal units are absolute angels um and having spoken to quite a few of them over the last few years you know it's very much for them uh, a calling you know and you see that so much in how they in how they um treat your baby you know um the the love and the kind of care and the passion it's like you know they're one of their own and it was um obviously a a horrible terrible experience I would never wish on anybody but it was it was um made so much better um by those people by those doctors and by those nurses Mm. and um so we got him out for cuddles for the first time which was you know amazing we weren't sure we would you know even really get to do that um and you know they just said to us take as long as you need take as long as you want and when you're ready we'll you know we'll just you know disconnect the ventilator and you can just hold him for as long as you want and you know they just sort of kept popping back in and checking on us and we gave us that kind of time and that space and and you know we we you know we held him until the end and it was it was as it was as, as nice as it could have been you know obviously in a really shit yeah. situation it was as nice as it as it could have been um, and then obviously we've got to go home and tell our 3 year old you know and then that's another another kind of thing you never think you're going to have to do no um, and it, you know we just it was just you never think it's going to happen to you, even when we're, you know, even when I would just remember saying to my husband, you know, we'd had this conversation with the consultant and we were, you know, we were, red, we were, you know, gearing ourselves up to go in and say goodbye and, you know, start all of that and we just kept looking at each other and just thinking, you know, we just can't believe it. Like we just never thought this would actually happen. It never get to this point. um, And so, you know, then we're kind of on the other end of it and it's, it's you know the, the kind of weeks immediately after are a bit of a kind of blur really yeah um it was really hard going home to our daughter and going home to like normal life and leaving the hospital without a baby yeah you know it's just the most terrible thing that any anyone is ever going to have to go through I think you know and to go back to kind of a world that is still turning and people are still living their normal lives and this you know huge life-changing thing has just happened to you it's just the weirdest thing in the world it's just Mm -hmm. such a surreal place to be um and so we went home and we spoke to our daughter about it and we told her about it and at the time it was so hard because she was she was 3 so she had a lot of questions yeah. a lot of the same questions and you know well, why did leo die well you know leo died because he had poorly lungs but um you know but why were his lungs poorly and it was the same questions day in yeah. day out and at the time it was really really hard to have to keep repeating the same things over and over again but in hindsight it helped us to deal with it yeah. it helped us to process it
0: mm. um, it's a so matter of fact aren't they
1: Oh, they so are, and and that's the the advice that we were given was you know just be honest because mm. um she hasn't got that attachment in the same way because for her Leo was only ever really a concept you know because of COVID she couldn't come into the hospital to meet him or anything like that so you know it wasn't she didn't have that attachment so she was very matter of fact about it which is hard it's really hard you know when obviously for you it's you know such a hugely emotional thing. Um, but, you know, the more we talked about it, the the kind of easier it got to talk about. And our friends and our family were um, brilliant. I think it, although there are a lot of downsides to being in the middle of a pandemic and, and lockdown, not being able to see people, I think also it was quite good because it meant that we could choose who we spoke to and when we didn't, we weren't forced to see people, you know, we weren't uh, having to navigate other people's sort of emotions around it all um, as much as we potentially would have if, if it was, you know, normal life, if you like. So um, whilst it was, you know, bad in some ways, it was, it was also quite positive in others, Um, you know, and then you have to plan a funeral for your baby. And again, it's just one of those things that you just never ever think you're going to have to do um and we had you know testing genetic testing and things done to see whether there was sometimes with cdh um there's a genetic link um and and that's the cause but for leo that wasn't the case everything sort of came back completely fine um and then you know what do you do from there you have to get on with life don't you really oh you can well, you either, for us, we had to because we had Anya. Mm. Um, you know, we had her to think about. We had to, um, you know, still stick to her sort of routine of, you know, the things that she was doing. Um, and it was just the weirdest few months. But we, we said straight away that we wanted to try again for a baby quite quickly. Um, you know, for me, it was just that whole... Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, for I still think, you know, this quite often that I'm not sure whether that hole is ever going to be filled, really. Um, but at the time I was just like, I just need, I've got all of this, you know, love that I was expecting to be able to give to this child that I now, you know, has nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, and obviously part of me as well thought, you know, it may help with our sort of healing as well. So we, we we said we wanted to try again for a baby really quickly, and and you got got pregnant quite quickly, didn't you? Yeah, we were. It was literally. Um, so we lost Leo in May, and by September I was pregnant again. We didn't we we, we didn't plan for it um, as such, but um, you know the doctors sort of said to us because I'd had a C section. They said you know ideally you kind of want. 12 to 18 months really between deliveries to kind of make sure that you are not putting too much pressure on you know your body and the scar and that kind of thing um so we were literally just inside that um so yeah we got pregnant quite quickly and obviously once you become part of the lost community you become so acutely aware of all the awful ways there are to lose a baby you know right from the off so it automatically becomes a very different journey from the pregnancies of old where you know you had this you know naivety and you were living in this bubble of of um you know everything being perfect and nothing yeah. going wrong um and that's obviously a, its own set of
0: challenges. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review and we'll see you next week. And to find out more about our pathway to recovery please visit our website.